Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast. I created this podcast along with my blog and brand to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life. I truly believe that we all have the power to live a life we love, and to do so, it's so important to be in tune with ourselves and be open to growing and evolving. I believe that once we can trust ourselves and our vision, that's when we can thrive. So with this podcast, I plan to discuss all things to do with self-reflection, personal growth, mindsets, and self-belief, all aspects that affect us in our everyday life. If you feel connected to my message and want to listen more often, I will be sharing one podcast a week, so make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I hope you are doing well. I hope you've been having a wonderful week. I hope you're staying cool wherever you are. I know in LA, it is so hot. It's been so warm. So I hope you're taking care of yourself. This week's interview is such a wonderful one that I recorded back in March, I believe. This episode touches on narcissism and I had done a few episodes on that around that time. So I didn't want to do them back to back right after each other. Even though this episode touches more on relationships, romantic relationship dynamics, and emotional abuse, while the other episodes touch more on dealing with narcissism in a parent or family dynamic. And so to introduce this week's guest, her name is Annie Kazina. She has a PhD and has been a specialist emotional and narcissistic abuse coach for 17 years, working with thousands of women and men worldwide. She is also a multi-award winning author of three relationship books. Annie spent 20 years with an abusive narcissistic partner before she finally realized that something was terribly wrong that she could not fix by working harder at the relationship. Now blessed with a truly lovely partner, in Annie's words, she specializes in teaching abuse survivors to believe in their own worth, build a joyful life after abuse, and enjoy healthy, fulfilling relationships in every area of their lives. You can follow Annie at dr underscore Annie PhD, which I will make sure to include in the description of this episode, along with her website, recoverfromemotionalabuse.com. This was such a wonderful episode. It's a very lengthy interview, and I'm so happy about that because we we touched on some really important topics. I felt like I could talk to Annie for so long. So I hope you enjoy this interview and are able to take something away. Let's get right into it with Annie. Hi, Annie. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me, Tara. I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. So can you start off telling us about yourself, what you do, and what inspired you to get into the field you're in? Well, I am an international abuse recovery coach. I've been doing this for the last 17 years. I work primarily with women because women tend to present more, but I do work with men too. And what got me into this was a very long toxic marriage. I was married to a narcissist, but I didn't know it. It took me an awful lot of time to find out what was going on. That was a long time ago before um, the internet made it so incredibly easy to get this kind of information. And when I 
left when the marriage ended, I was pretty devastated, of course. Um, I left as soon as I discovered that it was domestic abuse that I was going through. That was what it was labelled. And I thought, what the hell do I do with myself? So I realised I couldn't go back and create a new past for myself, but I made I vowed to myself that I would do everything I could to help other people get out of this mess faster and heal. I was just absolutely shocked to discover that this was common, that it was happening all the time and people were suffering in an isolated way because they didn't know what the hell was going on and they didn't know how to heal. So that was my mission and... Uh, the talent that I have as a PhD was I'm quite good at research. So I started researching my own healing, what worked, and then what works for other people too. And it's my passion. It really is in helping people recover from narcissistic abuse and turn themselves into the kind of person who is not only joyful but is um, narcissist repellent. I have this thing that, you know, there is there is a belief, a trope that goes round that people attract narcissists. And I totally refute that. Attractive people with wounds don't know how to repel narcissists. That's the real problem as I see it. Mm-hmm. How would you define narcissism for someone who doesn't even know what that means or what that looks like? That is a great question. Um, there are all sorts of definitions, and I wanted to come up with something that's kind of easily identifiable. So as far as I see it, narcissists are people who have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others, which means that when they don't get everything that they feel they need from you and their demands are quite unrealistic, they will make your life a living hell with mind games and punishments and all sorts of horrible behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I think one very common thing, too, is that a lot of people in narcissistic relationships are told that, you know, like, if you loved me, you would do this, or if you love me, you'd be okay with this toxic behavior. And I think that confuses a lot of people into thinking, okay, well, this is what love is, or, you know, if I care about this person, I should support them. So for someone who is in possibly a narcissistic relationship, and they don't even realize what are some like common behaviors that maybe point out that it is unhealthy? Well, I think the first thing is that, you know, this, if you love me, you will do this, that and the other for me. That's pretty toxic. If I'm meant to love you so much that I will do whatever makes you happy, then why the hell aren't you doing anything that makes me happy? Why are you totally disregarding everything that I say about what's hurting me? So, you know, that is one big issue that you might flag up. So how do you recognize that you're with a narcissist? They are very dismissive of you. They don't take your feelings seriously. They blow hot and cold. They blame you for things that you never actually did. They twist everything you say. 
you know, there's this standard thing about a narcissist can start a fight with you. What did I do wrong? I didn't say anything. No, you didn't, but it was the look on your face. You are dealing with someone with whom it is impossible to have a dialogue. Everything happens on their terms. Factor you into the equation. You've always got to be thinking about them. Your life is constantly uncomfortable because you're terrified of how they're going to react. When you catch them out in something, they will come out with the most extraordinary justification, which comes back to it all being your fault. I think one of the best that I know of is it's your fault that I had the affair because if you hadn't done such and such a thing, I wouldn't have had to go off and have an affair. You know, how does that one work? No responsibility for their own behavior. Would you say for narcissists, it's usually common to not take responsibility and not be accountable? Because I think a lot of us, you know, we have moments of being selfish or making mistakes in relationships. And it's easy for someone to listen to this and say, oh, maybe I'm a narcissist and worry. So um, what are some ways you can know like, okay, maybe this is narcissistic behavior over just making mistakes and being human? Well, I think there are various things here that need deconstructing. First of all, you have to trust your gut. There is the difference between having a moment when you're not exactly on top form and you're a bit childish or selfish or, you know, just whatever it is you lash out. Not, um, that's never impressive behaviour, but a normal person will apologise at some point. A narcissist may may, relatively early in the relationship, apologise, but it's not going to be a good apology in the fact that, first of all, they'll make you really work for it, and then when you get this apology, nothing changes except the narcissist's narrative. So if they apologise, it's, well, yeah, I suppose I did. And then that shifts to... But actually, I only did that because you did that and it wasn't that big of a deal anyway and it was all your fault really. And then they repeat the same behaviour again and again and again. You have these fights with a narcissist when you've got the energy to try and explain how human, how normal human beings behave. And it never changes anything you know I was with my narcissist for over 20 years and basically I was still having the same arguments with him that I had right at the start of the relationship because he never learned anything and I didn't understand what was going on because he wasn't a stupid man he was intellectually pretty smart but they don't learn so if you keep having the same argument and you're left with the same feeling of being totally disregarded, there is something very, very wrong. And the bottom line for me is that in the end, while it's really nice to know that someone is a narcissist and have a label that explains why things are just not working out, in the end, if it feels wrong, whether or not you 
feel that the this person ticks all the narcissist's boxes, you reach a point where a relationship is not viable, and that is what matters. You have to trust your gut. And if you don't mind sharing, how are you able to notice that this was um, toxic behavior? Because I think when you're in it for so long, you start to believe that's normal or it's hard to realize sometimes. So how are you able to notice that? As someone who's been in it myself for a long time and has worked with a lot of others who has been in it for a long time, you don't know but you do have this nagging doubt you go around saying is this normal is this normal this doesn't feel normal to me is this right is it me who's wrong Um, are they wrong you know there's something wrong here you do have a sense you may not have the confidence to say this is absolutely wrong but you do spend an awful lot of time second guessing yourself and that is a sign that something is very wrong indeed Mm-hmm. And so how important is it to have a support system or to reach out and talk to others about this? Because I think when you're in a relationship like that, or especially, you know, I want to get into gaslighting later, but when you're made out to feel crazy or to feel like you're the one who's wrong, it's easy to start believing that. And so how vital do you believe it is to reach out and to um, have that support system and ask them what they think? Well, it is obviously Um, imperative. The issue is finding the right people to give you the support. That can be a difficulty. You go to the wrong people and they go, well, every relationship has its difficulties or, but he seems like such a lovely person or she seems such a lovely person to me. To find someone who actually knows what you are going through, who can relate to it, Happily, that is a lot easier now than it was even 10 years ago. But you do have to really think about what's going on. I mean, yes, we those of us who get stuck in an abusive relationship have um, an overdone sense of loyalty, shall we say. But we sometimes, you know, you have to somewhere stop and look and say, a relationship has to be a two-way street. What is coming my way? There is a point. You really do have to think, you know, this is going wrong. What's going wrong? What's, you know, there must be something. If you feel like that, that is a very pathological sign. I understand just how difficult it is. But at some point, you have to believe yourself and reach out to the right people. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because it's, you know, other people can also undermine you or say, why don't you just leave it like it's so easy. And so it is important to find people who understand. And so I want to get into gaslighting. Um, Could you explain what that means for someone who doesn't know what that is and how maybe they can tell if they're being gaslighted? Gaslighting is a very handy technique that narcissists use. It's a technique um, that we see quite a lot around, even in politics at the moment. Um, But basically, gaslighting is when somebody, say in this case, your romantic partner, is manipulating you into into doubting your own sanity. They present you with their version of reality and quite often your reality 
which is damaging to you and which they somehow try to make you believe and sometimes do make you believe is truer than your version of reality. And if I can give you an example from my own life, just to, that might make it a bit clearer. When my daughter was small, I was an outside caterer. And as a caterer, I kept my knives very sharp. One day I was serving my daughter her supper. She was three or four. And I cut something for her and handed it to her. And my then husband suddenly started shrieking. You nearly blinded her with that knife. I looked at him and said, he said, that knife, it was so near your eyes. You nearly blinded her. You were so lucky you didn't blind her. And my whole system by then kind of froze. Oh, my God, could I have done that to my daughter? But I knew my knives. There's no way in the world I would have done that. It's this constant kind of messing with your head till you don't know your own truth. And you have to go, did I? Didn't I? You know, like uh, you left the keys in the car, you, did, you know, when you didn't. Telling you that you did things that you manifestly did not do. And they do it with such conviction that you don't believe yourself. And this has a knock-on effect because it's not just the knife or the keys or the whatever. You end up thinking, I'm losing the plot. I'm totally, you know... I'm not capable of managing on my own if I can't even do X or Y. If this person has to step in and tell me what I'm doing wrong all the time, how can I possibly step out and be independent of them? It is a terrifying, terrifying experience. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that because, you know, even in that moment, I feel like, or just in general, when a narcissist does that, it tears down the person's confidence and their self-esteem and I think that can very much lead to people being emotionally dependent on them you know if they're tearing you down but then they give you a few compliments and make you feel good you feel like you almost need that even if it isn't a partner even if it is a family member a friend can you share some dynamics maybe you've noticed um, whether it is like codependency or feeling like you need to be the savior not just with yourself but people you've worked with yeah, there are some very, very crazy dynamics at work in um, narcissistic relationships. A lot of the time, there is a very um, twisted take, if you like, on the fairy tales where, you know, the prince rescues this poor, helpless female and they live happily ever after. You know, he rescues her and she self-actualizes. And that's not exactly true. Uh, narcissists may or may not come in on a contract that they will save you. There's often a contract that goes the other way that you will save the narcissist because they often come in with their own hard luck story. And then it gets into this kind of thing that, well, we can only do it for each other and it must be love and it's very, very messy. You are totally enmeshed with each other. You're not allowed to have an independent life. Anything that you want to do is regarded by the narcissist as betrayal and insurrection. 
and has to be punished. They don't love you, but they find it very convenient to have you in their life because you you meet certain needs that they have. And I think now, too, the whole idea of like the ride or die idea or doing anything for the person, not now necessarily, but it's been romanticized for so long, even like Romeo and Juliet, you die for each other or you, you know, you don't really have your own lives. And so would you say in a narcissistic um, dynamic that boundaries are not even respected and maybe they keep you from your friends? Like, do you feel like it's all about control? It is definitely all about control. Narcissists hate boundaries. And from the first times they see you, Virtue, for the first times they um, start the process of selecting you, because they audition people. And from the very, very beginning of the relationship, they are testing and pushing your boundaries. And they, in, at the beginning, they do it in very small ways. These are some of the proverbial red flags. But they're constantly pushing to see what happens when they test where a boundary could be. And each time that they find there isn't one, that is confirmation that you're someone that they can have a lot of use value from. So want to see more of you than you want to see of them or they sort of push for exclusivity too soon, or they sort of love you so much that they want you for themselves, which is a nice way of saying they isolate you from your friends and family, or they don't consider what you might like to watch in the way of a film or where you might like to go for dinner. It's always on their terms. Or a client of mine, she had this man who was absolutely wonderful allegedly because he used to take her out to the nice places that he wanted to go to but when he wanted to give her a nice bouquet of flowers he didn't actually get the florist to deliver it on a day when he wasn't meant to be seeing there he trotted around there himself with his flowers you know and thereby found his way into her house at a time when they weren't due to be meeting and she thought that was romantic and it was overstepping boundaries. It's just this thing of, you know, they find a reason for being more present in your life than you have actually given them permission to. And one of the sneaky things that they do is they get you to talk more than you should. There's a, a client of mine who was middle-aged and she met this man who sort of, positioned himself as love's middle-aged dream and they went out for an, a nice enough dinner and during the course of it he said do you think the desire for a sexual relationship wanes when you're sort of in your 50s because he was or whatever you know and she said well I don't see why it should you know I think sex is an important part of a relationship and there was a total violation on his part. It was a sort of subtle way of getting her to reveal more information than was appropriate for him to have at that point, which she accepted because she just didn't know that you can say, no, I just don't want to talk about that. Very useful when you're with one, someone to say, yeah, that's off limits. They love people who don't have a strong concept of what is off limits. 
Yes, thank you. And I'm so glad you brought up that example of your client and, you know, him showing up with flowers to her house because, you know, we don't see that as a red flag always. And like you said, she may have seen it as a romantic gesture. But what happens when you're five years into your relationship and you're in a Zoom call or you're in a meeting at work and they show up uninvited and, you know, it's it's that lack of those boundaries early on, you know, that's going to continue on. And I think it's important to try to notice those red flags early on. For someone who's an empath and they don't want to hurt someone's feelings or they they're a people pleaser, they really care about someone and they, you know, even if they're aware of these patterns, they just don't want to be that person to break someone's heart. Um, What advice would you give to them if, you know, they're not prioritizing themselves? Yeah, I mean, I just groaned when you were saying hurt someone else's feelings. Um, Those of us who were brought up not to hurt other people's feelings were actually brought up to be essentially defenseless. It's natural, it's innate in us. You know, the problem is, when do we get to remember that we are people too? We are people, and if we allow, and if we're obsessed with not hurting other people's feelings, we are forgetting someone. We are forgetting ourselves. I'm in my life that I have gone out of my way not to hurt other people's feelings. It hasn't worked too well. You have a right to deliver a message that needs to be delivered kindly. Mm -hmm. And so what are some tips on communicating effectively with a narcissist? Or is that just not possible? (laughs) I think it's really important to say that there is limited effective communication that you can have with a narcissist. That's my dog who's obviously got strong opinions. (laughs) You can't communicate effectively with a narcissist about your feelings, your needs, your wants, or any of that stuff because they don't care. The only thing that a narcissist is really listening for is whether or not they have leverage with you. And that's a really important and horrible concept to have to grasp. What they want to know is whether or not you're a pushover. If you're a pushover, then they can exploit you. You are still a pushover if you stand and argue with them because a narcissist can out-argue anyone until you collapse in exhaustion. Yeah. I feel like from what I've noticed in my life, they they want to pull you in and they want to drain you emotionally. And I'm not saying it's always intentional, but, you know, they kind of thrive off of getting a reaction out of you. Would you agree? I would agree. And I would say that it is largely intentional there. They have a big need to prove that they are superior. You know, they, that is something that makes them feel good. They are superior in every way. And they can argue you down. They can um, make you yield. So for them, it's all about leverage. And the only way you communicate effectively is by saying, no, I am done. This thing is over and implementing that they, it's, you know, it's like a child's, that effective discipline with a child is not punishing a child. Effective discipline with a child is letting that child know that if you do X, 
there will be consequences. Consequences tend not to have to be very big at all if you're talking about a small child. But if they know that X results in Y, they probably won't do it. When you're talking with a narcissist, it's no, this is not on. And that's the end of it. You, then the consequences, the relationship is over, no going back. And if mm -hmm. they come back to you, then you have to actually proceed to, you know, take out whatever kind of restraints, impose whatever kind of restraints need to be imposed. And narcissists do this thing which is dear to romantic empaths' hearts, they come back and they go, oh my God, I've only just realised it was me, I was wrong, I'll be a changed person from now on, I really, really love you, I just found out. No, <laughs> they are just lying. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's easy to, it's easy to use those words, but if you don't see the actions change, then of course. But I mean... I think that's one common thing, would you say that, you know, once you break it off or once you finally set those boundaries and say it's over, whether that is a relationship, friendship, whatever it is, it's, you know, easy for them to maybe turn it around and put that guilt on you. Obviously, every case is different. But um, from what I've noticed and from friends and family in my own life, I've seen that pattern where, like you said, all of a sudden it's, oh, come back to me. I've changed or I realize what I did and makes you almost feel guilty? Well, I think the issue there is that you have to work on your own guilt. Nobody is to blame for having a narcissist happen in their life. But the way I like to think of it, because it works for me, is that basically we are on this earth to learn some kind of syllabus. Um, and if you end up with a narcissist, I feel that the syllabus that you have to learn is how to take better care of yourself, how to be more loving towards yourself, and how to put boundaries in place and stop taking on other people's crap, basically. With that said, what advice would you give to someone who maybe ended a narcissistic relationship and their partner is now like bombarding them with texts, showing up to their house, won't leave them alone and is trying to win them back or get them back in their lives. And like you said, just have that control. Um, and, you know, it's hard when if they're always around. So how does someone stay strong in those moments and try to set those boundaries, even if they're broken? Well, I think that there is a slight, a slight misunderstanding here that a narcissist will not keep uh, hoovering that is coming back and trying to get you back if they get absolutely no encouragement and no response. You want to have no contact with them. Um, there is always this thing that if you fear your safety is at risk, then you absolutely need to have the police involved. You have to have supportive neighbours and people you can um, trust and rely on in these difficulties. But otherwise, you want to have no contact, block them every which way, slap an order for harassment on them if they are harassing you, 
but you do not feed them. Um, there is a book, The Gift of Fear. Sorry, the name of the guy who wrote it escapes me at the moment. But he talks about pathological people. And every time you answer the phone to them or whatever, you or in any way engage with them, you are asking for multiple, I think it's 30 times more harassment. Wow. So this is the thing, you know, they send you the emails and you say, oh, please stop contacting me. It's not a great engagement, but you have engaged. They know that it landed with you. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Even like, you know, they may say something to get one text back from you and then that's them starting all over again. So that I mean, that's great advice to just cut it off. And I know that can be really difficult. And I think there's a misconception that if you leave a relationship like that, that all of a sudden you're free and you must feel so much better. But there are obviously going to be so many wounds you have to deal with. And so how important is it to be patient with yourself through the healing process? And um, do you have any tips on just getting through that and rebuilding your self-esteem? Well, the first thing is that you do have to be patient with yourself and you do have to work on your own heel and you definitely do not want to find another relationship. This is, you know, this is a time to take a sabbatical and build a relationship with yourself. If you rush back into the dating pool, which some people do advise you to do because they don't understand what's really happened. Um, narcissists will surface out of the woodwork. They can sense a wounded person from a thousand miles away. So it's a very, very bad idea. This is a time to build a relationship with yourself, which is absolutely terrifying for a lot of wounded empaths who have lost all sense of who they are. It's really tough. So first of all, you have to be incredibly patient with yourself. You have to choose who you associate with. And the only people you want to associate with are the people who go, yeah, I understand it's really tough for you at the moment. And you will come through this in time. No, and But in a generous way rather than, you know, you'll get over it. Time's a great healer, which is a very different thing. Time is not a healer. Time is a useful tool. You have to read and inform yourself so that you know what happened. And you have to work at healing your own wounds. Um, so kindness means not berating yourself because your feelings are all over the place and you want to go back with this person because it feels like that's the only thing that will solve your problems. You have to be kind to yourself and firm with yourself. No, we don't go back because it's not going to get better. You've also got to treat yourself like someone whose feelings matter. And that's a real biggie. Um, when a narcissist leaves, their toxic dialogue is still in your head. 
So you're having this toxic monologue, and I'm awful, I'm stupid, I can't do anything, nobody's going to want me. That is a disgusting way to be talking to yourself. You wouldn't talk to anybody else that way. And therefore, you've got to start changing that dialogue. You've got to start working with, yeah, I know it feels that way, but actually, this isn't true. You are as good as anybody else. You've got to ask yourself what you'd say to a dear friend in that mess and start saying that to yourself. And, you know, it's not it's not necessarily easy to always accept just the negative parts. Of course, people are going to remember the time that they showed up for you and went out of their way to do X, Y, and Z. And so would you say that grief, of course, not just for um, a narcissistic dynamic, but in any relationship, that whole idea of grieving is valid and normal, especially if, you know, you wanted them to be a specific way or you kept thinking they would change and grieving the fact that they're not necessarily who you wish they could be. Yeah, I think the grief is really important. And I think the more you can be at peace with the grief, the better. The thing is that what you're really grieving is not the person that you had, but the dream. And grief always comes with a narrative. And the narrative is about your very great sense of loss. And it's important to understand that when you're grieving the end of um, a narcissistic relationship, you are grieving for yourself for the years lost, for the dreams lost. But that person was not the only person who could give you the dream. The dream is real. The dream can become a reality further down the line as and when you're in a fit emotional state to find a worthy partner. You have not lost anything that was real. You have lost your belief that that person was the best thing since sliced bread. Mm -hmm. And do you think um, narcissists usually make you believe like you can't find anything else or try to convince you that you found the best or maybe like, oh, you're not that good enough, like only I can love you? Have you noticed that? Uh, Just a bit. I mean, they all... (laughs) They all go around saying, I'm such a wonderful, I'm so good, you're so lucky to have me. Nobody else would put up with you. Um, You know, I'm so wonderful. My ex-husband did this thing, you know, he was, he did so much for me in his own beliefs. In fact, he did nothing. Except he did put out the garbage bins. And it used to take him quite a long time because he, first of all, there was a great deal of huffing and puffing and he'd put on his garbage bin clothes and then he'd start uh, go out there and he'd actually put the garbage bins out like the professional he was. You know, he, he didn't just put the garbage bins out. He was a highly paid professional who was going out there as a special favour to his wife to put out the garbage bins. And it took the time it took and nobody else could do it as well as he did. And when he left, I found it was actually a two minute job. It was no big deal. 
But that was <laughs> the whole thing. They really, you know, anything they do for you is so fabulous. Nobody else would ever do it. And actually, there are really good people out there who will care about you and who will just say, this is a job that needs to be done. And it's my pleasure to do it because I'm here first or because I want to. I want to spare you. And there's no mock heroics about it. So there's a great deal of fiction that this that narcissists spin about who they are. It really is that moment in The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy sees the real person behind all the um, fabrication. It's interesting you say that too. I mean, it's it's funny because you know that's something that just should be normal and. It, I feel like it'll turn into, it's not necessarily about you and I care about you and want to help you. It's praise me or this is, you know, aren't I so great for doing this? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm really curious for someone who has a child with a narcissist, um, if you can share, like how, how do you deal with that? Like with co-parenting and still having your boundaries and your space while also, you know, wanting your um, child to have their parent in their life. Uh, that is very, very hard. There are no easy answers. Um, the first thing is you cannot co-parent with a narcissist because they don't parent. They play super parent when there's a nice audience. But in <laughs> private, they are totally unresponsive to their children's needs, and they do play mind games with their own children. Children are there primarily to feed their egos. So you can't co-parent with a narcissist. I believe you actually do end up parenting around the narcissist. And there you have to get rid of your own narrative about having to be two good parents to your child because Certainly, you are the only good parent. It's enough to be one good parent. It's enough to believe in your child and give your child a sense of their own worth and some kind of safety and security. If the other parent, if the narcissist plays a role in the child's life and in some countries and some states, they have a lot more access by law to the child than, frankly, they deserve. Then you ha just have to cope the best way you can. The child will get hurt by the narcissistic parent. It's just the way it goes. But unfortunately, if you can't resolve it, you and the child have to live to it with it to the best of their ability, to the best of your ability, and the other piece is there are an awful lot of people who grew up without one good parent who've gone on to become um, great, successful adults. Your child will have one good parent. That's a huge blessing in life. You know, that's really important. Hold on to that through the difficulties the child can and will come through. Mm -hmm, definitely. And so... For someone who 
has a friend or a loved one who is they're in a relationship with a narcissist and they want to support them and be there for them but it's hard to see that occurring um how can they be a supportive friend without maybe overstepping their boundaries or you know not respecting their space as well that is a difficult one because you want to step in and say can't you see Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's the thing you cannot do because if the the person with the narcissist has to choose between her friend and the narcissist they will choose the narcissist so you have to bide your time as much as possible Uh, you have to let them know that you are there for them and you will be there for them as and when they need you. Um, The difficulty is when you get caught up in their psychodramas. Because sometimes there is this thing where they're going to leave and not going to leave and going to leave and they enlist you and you get all involved and yeah, yeah, I'm right with you. Come on, you can do it, you can do it. And then they get, no, I'm sorry, I can't. And that can feel really unpleasant for you that you have ended up being played, not because the person wanted to play, but because they weren't ready to go. And at a certain point, if it gets too unpleasant for a friend, it is reasonable to take a step back. And it is reasonable to say to this person, I can't be in the middle of your psychodynamics. Mm-hmm. Now, I wish I could say there are easy answers. There aren't. You can, of course, drop the occasional bit of suitable material in front of them quite innocently, like, gosh, I came across this book. People are saying it's really quite interesting. I don't know if you want to take a look at it. But you can't say to them, you know, that he's a narcissist or she's a narcissist and you really shouldn't be with them because it's not going to work. And I think that can be the hardest thing because, you know, you may notice in your relationship and you can control, obviously, if you leave or not. But when it comes to someone you love, if you see that dynamic, it can be really hard. And so for anyone who is now out of a relationship like that and they're trying to work on themselves and say they want to practice more self-love, I'm curious as to what you think self-love looks like. Yes, um, that's a great question, and it's one that I get asked a lot because, you know, people say, God, people who are coming out of these relationships know that there are two things they have to do. They've got to get boundaries, and they've got to do self-love. And they go, yeah, I'm going to get more boundaries. I'm going to get self-love. And I say, do you know what a boundary looks like? And they go, uh, no. No. And it's kind of like asking someone to converse in a foreign language. So you have to start with the basic grammar. You know, yeah, everybody goes on that self-love is the best thing since sliced bread and uh, fermented foods. But fermented foods are easy. You can go out and buy them. Self-love is much more complicated. So you want to start with the little building blocks, which I was talking about before, like, starting to be kind to yourself actually work taking a little bit of time to get to know yourself and if you are doing this alone 
one of the best tools that I know is Julia Cameron's uh, Morning Pages, Ju Julia Cameron of the Artist's Way. Now, whether or not you want to be an artist, the Morning Pages doing the 20-minute brain dump writing out these pages longhand is a really powerful thing to do. It's a way to listen to yourself without judgment. It's a way to actually work things through to get to know yourself. And it's a way of committing to yourself in a way that you may not be doing things that self-love is not. So going to the gym can be self-love but it is not necessarily self-love. It depends whether you're doing it to get the perfect body so you're lovable or doing it because you're concerned about your own well-being and it works for you. Doing what lifts your heart, what gives you pleasure, that's all first steps towards self-love. Mm -hmm. And would you say that's self-forgiveness too? not, you know, I think it's easy to look back and say, I wasted all this time or I should have known or I can't believe I let myself be treated like that. But, you know, you learn from those experiences. And I think that forgiveness is so essential. Would you agree with that? Self-forgiveness is huge. Um, I think you have to be aware, be wary of the people who come along and say, you got to keep them so that you can get on with your life. It's up to you whether or not you forgive a narcissist. You don't want to keep the rage in your heart about them. But that kind of forgiveness is irrelevant. Forgiving yourself for not knowing what you didn't know is huge. What's so incredibly important is that narcissism is basically endemic in our society. And yet there is remarkably little awareness of it. We come to that awareness by ourselves when we have been hurt because we were not taught. We were not made aware of it. Or to say, I can't believe I stayed that long or how could I be so stupid or so, or something like that, is outrageous because what does society feed us except for myths like love conquers all, that you meet this person and opposites attract and you go through these bad times together and then you walk into the happily ever after. All these kind of myths to keep us in toxic relationships. You know, then there's this other lovely myth about, you know, he called me all these names. Uh, uh, yes, well, uh, most of us use names when we're angry, you know. Low-level abuse is actually sanctioned in our society. Mm -hmm. Even just like in movies we see, say, for example, the woman saving the really, the really mean and abusive man and turning him into some really loving and thoughtful person. <laughs> just like the whole idea that, you know, you can save other people and change them and that makes you feel good. And so I completely agree with that. And overall, this show is about living your most authentic life. And everyone has such a different definition to what that means. And so for you, what does living your most authentic life mean? Well, I think for me, it's my definition now will be my, a joyful, meaningful life. That's what it means for me. But I think if you have been in 
um, a narcissistic relationship for a while and someone says, you know, live your authentic life, the poor person's probably going to look at you like a rabbit in headlights and go, what? Because they have lost a sense of who they are. They have had, um, if you like, a huge smokescreen put in front of their sense of self. That self is still there but they may well not be able to see it. Therefore, authenticity can feel like a big ask. So you just have to take the time to get back to being aware of your core values, your belief in love, in decency, in caring for other people, in what really matters to you. And you just have to start to get a sense of your own foundation so that you can step into your own authenticity but it can be a big deal yes definitely that's beautifully said and so i overall i so appreciate your vulnerability and i know this will help so many people realize certain patterns whether it is with a loved one a friend and so thank you for being here and lastly i want to ask you um, what's coming up next for you and your work and where can listeners give you a follow well, listeners can give me a follow on Instagram and Dr. Underscore Annie PhD. And there's an awful lot of information and interaction about narcissism on my page. The What's coming up for me is I have another book in the pipeline because my passion is gentle healing. People who've been through the trauma of narcissism need to learn how to do life in a gentle way need to learn a relationship with themselves in a gentle way. So that's really what's coming up for me next. Amazing. And I know you sent over a chapter of your book and affirmations that I will include the links to in the description of this episode. So thank you so much for being here, Annie. I so appreciate it. And I hope you stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, lovely to speak to you. I hope you enjoyed this interview and were able to take something away from Annie's experience and words. She was very honest and open about her story, which I so appreciate, and she clearly is very knowledgeable on recognizing emotional abuse and narcissism. And to learn more about Annie's work, you can visit her website, recoverfromemotionalabuse.com, or her Instagram at Dr. Underscore Annie PhD. I love her page. She has such great content. And if you'd also like to follow the Instagram for the show, that's at Trust and Thrive or my personal Instagram at Tara.Mont. If you're going through something similar or feel like you are in that type of relationship, please know you're not alone and please reach out to a professional. And if it's obviously serious to a hotline, a domestic violence hotline, whatever the case may be, please take care of yourself and talk to a loved one. You're not alone. So with that said, I hope you take care of yourself. I hope you look after yourself. I hope you keep reflecting and I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday. Thursday.